0: simple and very simple for us to understand. But leadership is influence. And, and, you know, there are good leaders and there are bad leaders. In other words, you can influence people, you know, in a good way or you can influence people in a bad way. And one of the things about spiritual leadership is spiritual leadership really is continually pointing people to God, continually pointing people to, uh, from where they are to get to where they're going. And the best thing that I know to tell anybody is, you know, not necessarily that Tupperware is all it. Man, if you don't find Tupperware in this life, then you're, you're just lost. Uh, it's, not so, it's not that, you know, you've got to find money and success and power or success in your job at this life. And I know that there are churches whose whole focus is that, right? Don't go there. Um, but, but whose whole focus is that, boy, if you don't find success in your career and success in your family and success in all these things, then, boy, life is just really isn't worth it. And you're apparently not walking in God's favor. Um, I would say that walking in God's favor is, is success in life. Amen? Uh, amen. Well said. And that's why we're here today, isn't it? Because we believe this to be true, the best thing that you can find in this life is a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? Uh, th- there is nothing better than this, amen? You believe this with me? All right, and, and spiritual leadership is constantly pointing people to this truth that no matter what is going on in their life, no matter what other pursuits they have, the best thing that they can find is a restored relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ who, as we were reading this morning, that, through, that Clay read for us this morning, was the one who died for us, amen? Um, and so uh, we we believe this to be true. That is why we're here. That's why we get up on Sunday mornings instead of sleeping in, amen, Uh, because we believe this is true, and we believe this is important. Spiritual leadership is over and over and over again pointing people to this truth. No matter where they are, no matter what they do, and you and I have found this to be true, right, is that Really, the older I get, I I remember when I was younger, and a believer even, people would say, you know, no matter what's going on in your life, the answer is in the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was young, I was stupid, and I didn't believe it. Now that I'm older, it's true, isn't it? Amen? You believe this to be true? No matter what's going on in in your life, the answer is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, we're reading in 2 Corinthians, man, I'm going to 90 miles an hour this morning, aren't I? Slow down. I'm excited about this today. Um, Sorry. Sorry. in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, the answer for all of God's promises in Jesus Christ. Okay, so let me back up. What did God promise? man, look at the Old Testament. It's one thing after the other. All the earth is going to be blessed through the seed of Abraham. The the the, the Israelites were going to inherit and, and inhabit the promised land. The promise that God would cover over sin, even with Adam and Eve, right, with the killing and the sacrificing of the animals, um, and the promise that, that, that mankind's sin would be covered over, over and over and over again. The promises in Hosea and Amos, which are these really terrible prophets that are coming. I mean, terrible in the context of, what the, of the, their message. They were great prophets, but their message was horrible. It was, judgment is coming, and you're all going to be carried off into captivity. And the people of Israel were so happy to hear it. Not really. Um, but they, they heard this, and it was a horrible message. And yet the promise was, but God will restore a remnant. God, God will be faithful to you still. He will be faithful to a remnant of you. He will, you will see again. One day you will see His salvation. All the promises of the Old Testament, all the promises of the New Testament, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, in Jesus Christ are yes and amen, right? That's, a, that's pretty big, isn't it? I mean, that's a pretty big, that's pretty big check to write, isn't it? All the promises of God are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, all of his promises are fulfilled in him, every single one, right? Amen? He is our hope, amen? He, he really is. He is our hope. I'm sorry, I'm going to get so far gone here, I'm not even going to remember where I'm at. But anyway, that, that, that's, the, that's the truth, and, and that's what we really want to point, each other, point people to. So whether you're a leader in your church or you're a leader in your business or you're a leader, uh, mother or father of, uh, of your children or, or the man of your, your home, we always want to be concerned in leading people in this direction uh, toward uh, Jesus Christ, always want to be pointing people to Him. Um, And just while we're at it, I I just want to say a little bit about the local church. Bill Hybels writes a great book. It's called Courageous Leadership. Actually, I'm going to buy a bunch of those. But um, anyway, uh, get them in some of you guys' hands. But one of the things he writes about, he he says, what hope does the world have? I mean, you look at, you know, you look at the unrest in the Middle East, you look at all the things that all the, you know, we were just talking in Sunday school a little bit ago about, uh, uh, I think Tim Teason was the one who said, uh, we hear the same promises every four years. It's basically true, isn't it? Uh, I'll create jobs and I'll uh, be for strong defense and I'm going to calm our enemies and I'm going to stand against China and all this stuff. Uh, it's kind of the same promises every four years, isn't it? Uh, but we get to the point that, uh, man, where was I going with all that, I wonder? Hmm. Completely lost. This is why I should stick to the script, shouldn't, isn't it? It's why I make notes. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. Uh, but anyway, you know, our, our hope is not in, oh, that's where I was going. Our hope is not in our leadership politically. Our hope is not that we have the right political system. It's not that we have the right economic system. Matter of fact, if you read the history of Israel, uh, it, it just says over and over again that the problem was not that they had the wrong politics. It's not that they had the wrong king. It's not that they had, although they had a lot of wrong kings, are you with me? Um, it's not that they had the, the wrong economic system. It's not that they were in a sorry place to be trying to live. Actually, they are in a really, really pleasant place, really good place. Really good for trade, right there on the Mediterranean. All, all that, right above Egypt, where all this flow of of trade was going. But the problem was, it was all corrupted by their sin, and so they ceased to be a nation. Didn't matter who the king was. Didn't matter where they were. Didn't matter uh, um, um, their political leanings. Didn't matter their economics. It was all corrupted by sin, and it brought it all down. It's kind of scary to think about, actually. So let's move on. Um, so, but anyway, so, so yeah, so you, you look at the history of nations, you look at the history of, of the rising and fall of nations, and, and, and the, the violence that happens even in our own country, even in our own city, even in our own society, what hope do we have? What hope do we have? Bill Hybels, again, in his book, Courageous Leadership, says, the hope of people lies in the local church. It it is the hope of nations, not because the local church is is fantastic, not because the the local church is is filled with people who are just more capable than people who are not in church. The hope of the the nations, the hope of our society, the hope for our city is in our local churches and it's in our local people because God has entrusted his gospel and it's like like Clay was reading of Paul this morning. Um, He's entrusted us as ambassadors of his message. He's given us, he's created this ministry of reconciliation by which people can be reconciled to God, and he's given that to us, and he said, now, here is my ministry of reconciliation. You take it to the nations. The local church is the hope of the nations. Uh, amen, And, and your ability to influence the people around you, your ability to influence your family, your ability to influence the people at your business or in your classrooms, that ability, God has given you the ability, and He's given you the right, and He's given you the message to carry out what is really, truly the hope of the nations, amen, amen. Okay, so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this this morning. Men, I want you to, I want to talk about this morning, I want you to squirm a little bit when I'm going through this, honestly, a little, all of us who are in leadership, but men in particular, I, I, I want this to hit you hard, I hope it does, um, I hope it, I hope it kind of wakes us all up to what we need to be doing, and... Uh, as we go through this. So, anyway, I'm, I'm going to step on your toes because, right, men, you've got broader shoulders, right? You have testosterone coursing through your veins and you can take it, right? All right, so let's go. All right, so um, I tell you where I wanted to start is um, now let's start. Let's go ahead. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And let's. Read, I'm just going to read a little bit of chapter, the beginning of chapter two, a little bit of chapter three. Remember, we talked a little bit last week. Paul just really in Second Corinthians, you see him just bear his soul to the people in Corinth. They are having stru- problem after problem in Corinth. There are false teachers in there who in Corinth who are telling, basically telling the church members there, you, you know what? Paul's not all that. I'm a good teacher. I've got these letters from these important people. Who's Paul? What's he teach? So what about all that? And Paul's just having to defend his ministry after he's been there a couple of times. He's written what we have here in 2 Corinthians is actually the fourth letter that he's written to the church in Corinth, we believe. Uh, Just poured his heart and soul out. And you see Paul at one point saying, you can just see his frustration and his concern though for the church. And you see so much about his care, this pastoral or this fatherly concern, this, this spiritual leadership, this fatherly spiritual concern that he has for him. And he just lays it out. At one point, I think it's in chapter 5 or 7, I can't remember. But anyway, he says, I, I've opened my heart to you. Open your heart to me. He's just asking him just just reciprocate just do what I've done just listen to what I'm saying and just quit listening to these false teachers and listen to me and remember the ministry that I've done to you and you just see him just just let his hair down and just be real open with them about about how um, about how much he cares about them and you really see um, just a real pastor a real fatherly care for the church just beautiful stuff so that's why we're in Second Corinthians talking about this in Second Corinthians chapter two beginning in verse one this was. Um, He was talking in the end of chapter 1 about making another trip to them. But he says, look at what he says in in, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. Actually, what happened before is that he went went to them before and and he said that there was so much to fix. I had so much to correct you about that it was a painful visit. And he said, I didn't want to make another painful visit. I wanted you to let you get your house in order before I came back so that we could rejoice together instead of me having to correct and exhort you. Uh, Anyway, so in verse two, for if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote you as I did so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. Verse four, for I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth. Of my love for you. Okay, part of the complaint that had been going on in Corinth is that Paul had written these really difficult letters, trying to get, he was trying to correct them by letter, trying to get them to correct some of the problems they were having with immorality and uh, all this other kind of junk going on, immorality and and disorder in their worship and stuff. Uh, But uh, he he writes them and and he says, I wrote you really harshly about these things. But what was his, what, what was the purpose? What does he say there? at the end of verse 4, not to distress you or out of anguish and and out of distress and anguish of heart with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. How many of you are parents? Yeah. How many of you know that when you discipline your children, it's because you love them? Yeah. How many of you see parents who don't want to deal with their children? They don't have any time for their children. And so there's a lack of discipline. Listen, where there's a lack of discipline, there's a lack of love. Uh, true. I, I know that flies against everything kind of in a pop psychology culture right now, but where there's a lack of discipline, there is a lack of love. When, when a parent is, doesn't care enough to discipline their child, the parent doesn't love their child enough. True. Let me take that and apply it now to the church or to the people who are around you. This is really important stuff, all right? We have to address spiritual concerns with people. It, it is part of what we're called to do right? If you are in a position of leadership, and you all said you were, right? (laughs) If you're in a position of leadership, correcting and rebuking and gently, you know, helping someone turn around to go the right direction uh, gently is part of what you and I are called to. We're called to that as parents. We're called that as, as giving fatherly care or motherly care of children. We're called that as husbands. We're called to do that as ministers within the church. Amen? Amen. A, a general rebuking. Now, the the Bible has so much to say about this, how it's done, who does it, when it's done, all this stuff. And honestly, I don't have time to cover it all. But but let me just make a few points here. The first thing is is that when we do not correct, we show that we do not love. Right. So your child runs, at, does something, and runs out in the middle of the street, and you do nothing. What have you just shown? Well, you're a fool, right? No, <laughs> you don't care about them, right? Uh, and the same is true that when someone's under your, your spiritual care, under your leadership whether it's your children, whether, man, it's your family, whether it's here in the church, when you don't deal with spiritual issues, it shows that you care about yourself more than, than them. It, it really does. And that's the deal, right? Is we see parents all the time that, that they don't want to deal with correction of their children, and so they avoid it. Well, why? It's because they care about themselves more than they do their children. Let me tell you the trap that most people fall in, and you see this as well as I do. People want to be their, ch- their children's friend, Right? And so instead of correcting them and making them sad for a time by a little paddling or whatever you do, uh, by whatever it is, they don't want to make them sad, and so they won't correct them. Well, that's when parenting has become about me and not about my child, right? I don't want them to be upset with me, and so I'm not going to correct them, right? When that happens, we're showing I love myself more than I love my child, right? Very dangerous territory to be in. That child will grow up in difficult times, right? You know people who, who grew up this way? Man, I do. They're hard to get along with as adults, aren't they? Have a hard time getting along with anyone. Have a hard time in marriage. They have a hard time in their careers. They have a hard time with their bosses because no one's ever stepped in and been an authority figure for them. And so they have a difficult time relating in life. Yeah? When we do not correct, we, we show that we do not love. The next thing is this, is that correction is always to be done in love. Just what he says here is that I, I didn't want to grieve you. I, I didn't bring these things up because I wanted to knock you down. I didn't want to make you sad. I didn't want to do it, but I had to do it because of what? Because I love you, right? Because of my concern for you, because I want what's best for you, because I, I have real concern for you and where you're going and what you're doing. I really do love you. Let me, uh, well, let, let me make one more point here, I'll give you a quick example. The correction is always done for the intent to restore, not for revenge, not to nitpick, not to knock somebody else down, not in anger to get back at somebody. That's not, that's not biblical correction. Biblical correction is always to the, for the intent to restore. And I tell you, I, I could just lay out all these verses uh, for you. Um, that that talk about that. Uh, one of the best is in Galatians chapter six. Um, turn there just real quickly, and let's let's see what that says. I don't think I've got that for the guys in the back there, but Galatians chapter six. Look with me real quick about what that says. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Don't you love what that says? Should restore him gently. There's two important words there. One is restore. That means is that the intent is, is not to just rebuke for the sake, like you, sometimes, right, sometimes we, you get upset with your child, and sometimes you are discipline because, um, let's just be real honest, sometimes they, they frustrate you, right? Sometimes your, your children frustrate you, and to discipline them makes you feel better. That's not correct correction, right? That, that's not correct. The intent of biblical correction is the intent to restore, to restore relationships, to restore what was broken. To make things whole again, but the intent is to restore. It's not to get back at, it's not to point out weaknesses, it's not to point out other areas. Uh, it is for the intent of the restore. So the other thing is, is there too is that to restore him gently. Gently, caringly, with care, right? We, we want to restore people with care. We want to we come in very humbly and say, look, uh, this is what's going on, and, and uh, this is a thing that needs correction, and, and I just want to very, just out of concern for you, and I love for you, I want to tell you, you need to change direction. Let me give you a, a couple of examples, um, or maybe just one, I don't know. If I'm headed for a cliff, I wish someone would stop me, Right? if I'm going somewhere where it's absolute danger on the other side, I want someone to stop me and so do you, okay? The problem is, is that sometimes people are headed over a cliff and everyone wants to look the other way, right? That's not leadership. That's not care or concern. That's going back to point number one that says, I don't care enough about them to stop them. I want to tell you what I think of when I think in terms of spiritual cliffs when I see someone getting into an all-consuming sin, that's time to put on the brakes and do whatever you can to stop them. All right, l- let me tell you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about sexual sins in particular have a tendency to consume a person, right? I'm talking about lust. I- I'm talking about lust that's gone over the edge in terms of maybe pornography. I'm talking about ter- in terms of adultery. I'm talking about in terms of homosexuality. Those are the kinds of things that you got to hit the brakes and turn on the sirens and say, Stop. You've got to stop because I'm concerned about where this is heading for you. You've got to turn around because where you're going, where you're going, uh, you're going to have difficulty coming back because of this all-consuming sin. And I tell you too, um, one of the other times to, to alert some, someone, um, and, to, and to bring up something that's a concern is when they have a problem that is continually getting in their way of, of relationships. It's continuing to cause them to struggle in their finances. It's continually causing them problems in dealing with their parents or their children or, you know, with, other, with friends or whatever. When you see that kind of thing and you have a relationship with them, this is so important, to have a good enough relationship with them to say, can I talk to you, friend to friend? Can I talk to you out of love about something uh, when you see something that, const- that comes up constantly, that's a constant source of problem, that's a good time to, to, to tell them, look, I, you, you've got a, an area of blindness here that, that, I, can, that I just want to point out to you in love and concern and just very gently go to the person. Okay, let me tell you really quickly, people don't want to hear that, <laughs> right? People, people don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear that they have an, an area that needs work. They don't want to hear that they've got, a, they've got an area that needs that, of concern. They don't want to hear that they're headed off a cliff. And, you know, part of the thing that you've got to do before you approach someone is you've got to pray up about it, and you've got to pray that the Lord would bring about conviction for them because, honestly, it's not our part to convict, Right. Conviction is a work of the Holy Spirit that brings about a change, that it brings about an enlightenment of someone's mind and someone's spirit and someone's realization that where I'm going is wrong and I need to turn 180 degrees in repentance and go the other way. You and I cannot convince someone of their sin. The Holy Spirit can. And God often uses believers in the lives of other believers, in the life of David Crump, to point out some of the problems that I've had that I needed to repent of. Amen. Okay, just really quickly before we go on past this. When someone comes to you with a concern, when someone comes, and we we actually talked about this in Sunday school, what's the first, your first reaction, what's the first knee-jerk reaction that you have? Oh, oh, no, uh-uh, no, no that's not me. It, really defensive. We put, our, put up our defenses uh, that we're not ready to hear that. Uh, I'm not ready for that. That's part, of, that's part of our fallen human nature, right, is that we want to defend against that instead of hearing the truth and repenting and turning the other direction. The very first thing we do is we say, oh, no, 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 you got the wrong guy. Uh-uh, no, you must be talking about somebody else. Um, can I just suggest to you, um, when the Lord brings about His correction... Sometimes it it happens through an event in your life. Something something happens that makes you kind of wake up and realize, "Holy cow! I, I don't know how I got here, but this is not where I wanted to be." I, I don't know how I got kind of ankle deep in this sin, or ankle deep into into really not paying attention to what the Lord was doing, not being in in prayer, not being in uh, in, in Bible study, or or walking, you know, kind of kind of kind of kind of ankle deep in this sin and and not really seeing where it's going to. Um, but but whenever we do, whenever we wake up and we realize that. Really, you've got two choices, go into it deeper or turn around and get out. May I suggest to you that you just make up your mind, I want to be quick to get out. I want to be quick to repent and turn the, way, turn, turn the other way and to go uh, and agree with God about that conviction, right? Now, it happens sometimes, of course, where someone brings up something and the other person says, I have no idea what you're talking about. There, there is, right, misunderstandings. It, it happens. This is, not, this is not real clean all the time. It's not precise. But when you hear it, you know, some of the things that you got to do is you got to take it to the Lord and say, you're going to have to show me, even if you don't believe it at first, to take it before the Lord and say, you're going to have to show me, is this right? Do, do, do I need to repent here? Do I need to turn? Is some of my action, uh, uh, am I walking in the wrong direction? Even if I'm not neck deep in sin, am I really wading in it deep enough where I'm, I'm headed the wrong direction? Um, and that's a good time for us to be very quick to confess, very quick to repent, and turn the other way. Um, w- let me say one more thing about that before we go on. Who of you here will have need for the Lord's correction like tomorrow? Okay. How about, how about Tuesday? Wednesday is often a church day. Still, what's wrong with you people? Right? I am always going to, in this life, right? While I'm in this earthly tent, I'm always going to be in need of the Lord's conviction. Should I be surprised by it? No. Should I be offended by it? No. Uh, he remembers, as Jamie says, that we are but dust, that we are but dust and that we are fallen creatures, right? And, and we are in need of His correction. This is, in other words, if we could say this, let me put it to the other way, this is sanctification, isn't it? This is someone brings something to me or or the Lord brings something to me in conviction and I I confess, I'm convicted, I confess and I repent and I move closer to the Lord. I take another step closer to Him. I will always be in need of correction. I will. You will too. Should it be surprising? Should you be offended? Should should you be shocked every time it happens? No. How, How many of you struggle to have a regular prayer life? How many of you struggle to, um, how many of you see your, ebb, your prayer life ebb and flow and ebb and flow? How about being in the scriptures and your, prayer, and your your reading ebbs and flows and ebbs and flows? How about in your relationship with your wife? How about praying with your children or praying with your, your husband or your wife? How many of you see that ebb and flow? We need course correction every day, every day. And so we shouldn't be surprised by it. We shouldn't be um, offended by it. This is part of being human trying to follow the Lord. It is difficult for us. It's only by His power and by confession and desiring to take another step closer to Him and say, Lord, I want to follow You closer that, that we become more and more like Him. Amen? Amen? And we're never going to get down to this struggle in this life, uh, but we do uh, as we take more steps toward Him. Ooh, it is glorious. It is glorious. Okay. Um, n- another couple things. Uh, let's see. Correction comes from a person who's aware of their own need for correction. Back in Galatians chapter 1, it ends like this. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, um, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch, or you also may be tempted. Watch, or you also may be tempted. Jesus said something in, in Matthew chapter 7, didn't he, about removing the speck from someone's eye? You remember that? What did he say? Pull the plank out of your eyeball before you go try to pick a speck out of your brother's, right? In other words... Every one of us has need of correction, and the best person to correct another person is someone who's aware of their need for correction, right? Someone who is best at at helping another person to restore another person is someone who is constantly being restored by the Father, uh, who's constantly being convicted by the Holy Spirit and confessing to the Lord, Lord, I know my need for change. I, I know I need to change here. I know I have need of it. Um, that is the best way. Someone who's completely oblivious to their own sin and their need for change, uh, boy, uh, let me just be real honest, you've got no business. <laughs> you've just got no business trying to correct someone else. You just don't. All right. Okay. But it's, easy, isn't it? it's easier to see someone else's sins than it is yours. Why is that? Because our fallen humanity dampens our eyes, blurs our vision to our own sin. Never have any problem picking it out in somebody else. Right. But if you're not aware of it, if you're not actively confessing, being convicted of your sin, you've got no business going to someone else. Okay. Um. Let me read one more thing here and we'll, uh, we'll jump on. Um, let's see. Uh, so, so, yeah, so here's the first thing. Spiritual leadership, we talked a little bit last week about spiritual leaders pour what they've received from God into the lives of others. We talked about that last week. We talked about that specifically about suffering, but spiritual leaders pour what they've received from God. You know, Second Corinthians start with uh, starts with, the God of all comfort has given us comfort so that we might comfort others, right? So, what spiritual leaders recognize, what I've gotten is not just for me. What I've received in comfort or what I've received in mercy, what I've received in forgiveness, I'm supposed to pour out in the lives of other people, right? The second thing, or what we talked about today here, is spiritual leaders correct spiritual issues. Uh, the third thing I'd like to say um, here in this early part of Second Corinthians, spiritual leaders see the goal of spiritual leaders, leadership is lives changed by Christ. Look with me in Second Corinthians chapter 3, we'll read verses 1 through 6. Paul's defending himself here about people, this is what I was talking about in the beginning, there are people in the church of Corinth who are false teachers, and they said, oh, look, we have these letters of, um, what do you call that, letters of, uh, what? Commendation, Commendation, not condemnation, commendation, I'll get it right uh, in a second, of commendation from all these really important people. Paul's going to argue against that now, right, about these false teachers who have these supposed letters of commendation. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we, like some people, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or, from, or to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not in, with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts, such confidence as this is ours. Uh, through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. All right, let me go back. Look with me in verse 2. You yourselves are our letter. In verse 3, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. One of the recognitions, one of the things about spiritual leadership is that we see that spiritual development of those under our care, that, that's one of our goals. I want to see the people who are under my care, whether it's my children, whether it's my wife, whether it's the church, whether it's people that I have influence over at my work, no matter who it is, I want to see them growing in the Lord by the influence that I have on them. Yeah, Not so, not so easy, is it? Not so, di- not so easy. But it drives you to something, doesn't it? It, This means that you've got to pray for them constantly, right? It means that you've got to look for opportunities all the time about how can I talk to them? How can I engage them to really help point them to Jesus Christ no matter what's going on? If they're having difficulties in their marriage, if they're having difficulties in their finances. If my child's having difficulty in school, how can I point them to learn to trust in Christ better? How can I help develop and nurture this relationship like I'm a, like I'm a gardener you know, who's trying to really develop my, you know, my, the, the, the plants? How can, I, how can I fertilize? How can I water? How can I do this to help this, their relationship with the Lord really blossom? What can I do? What can I do? That's one of the concerns of spiritual leadership is that change lives is our goal. The second thing is we cooperate with God. We are His ambassadors. We are ministers of reconciliation. Um, that's just recognition that it, it's the Lord doing it. We're just, we're just vessels. Um, and then the last thing, God does the work of salvation. It's, it's not us, um, which brings down all the way to this point. This is a spiritual matter. It, it's not a point of you being clever enough to change people. It's not the point of you being smart enough to know how to how to influence people. This is a matter of taking these things before God and say, "Oh God, for my children, you know, help help my help help Jonathan. um, Whoop, he's in here. Let me be a little more careful. Help uh, (laughs) what? (laughs) Yeah, help help Rebecca to learn to trust you better. Help Jessica to develop a deeper relationship with you. Help help Brenda in her suffering." Um, for our church body. Lord, Lord, help these folks to grasp just a little more of the depth of what you've done for them. H- help them to relate to you. Help them to wake up in the mornings and desire a relationship with you. Those kinds of things, those kinds of prayers that really focus on spiritual development of people. Amen? Th- that's our goal. Um, and and it's, not, it's not something that is really, uh, you know, Paul would say in another place, this isn't a battle against flesh and blood. This is a battle, battle uh, in the spiritual realm. We really are in a spiritual leadership. Um, you are doing battle in in a uh, in a spiritual realm, and and part of that is praying and seeking the Lord to do His work in the lives of the people around you. Amen, amen. All right, okay. So let me just wrap up here. Um, spiritual leadership is a recognition that we we pour what we received from God into the lives of other people. Second thing is that spiritual leaders correct spiritual issues, and the third thing is that. Um, spiritual leadership see the goal as changed lives in Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. I tell you what, let's, uh, let's uh, stand, if you would stand with me and let's dismiss and we'll be, uh, be dismissed this morning.